Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Good to see you all. Well, I can't see you. Good to be seen by you all, virtually. I'm just assuming someone is out there. I'm hoping someone is out there. But uh, I know we're in here together, so thanks for being here this morning, wherever you are. Now I'm feeling too tall, but that's... There you go. Good. And... Thanks to Travis and Orlando for that, and our singers, by the way, or all of our singers, but uh, you might not realize this, our praise team shows up here like an hour early every Sunday to work on our, the music and just to make the, the singing uh, better for us, and I am so glad that God gave us music and then that he told us to sing, and I appreciate the singing this morning and the song selection, too. I hope you're paying attention to what was sung and what we said, because um, they were. So, heard about a guy who was talking to a friend of his, and he made an offhand comment that he had taught his dog how to play chess. And his friend said, wow, that must be one smart dog. And the guy said, not really. I beat him two out of three games. Have you ever been around someone that you see something going on and you realize he doesn't really get it? He's missing some critical information here. There's something going on that he is completely unaware of. Or or maybe that's you. Maybe you realize, okay, something's going on here. Everybody else seems to be getting it, but I'm not getting it so much. I'm missing something. This morning we're going to talk about a guy who fits firmly into that category. There was something going on, and he was completely missing it. We're spending some time talking about Jesus. Who is this man? Spending some time talking about just how different Jesus lived and just how different Jesus taught. And I want to remind you, I want to to keep everything in context here. I want to remind you, Jesus showed up on this earth at a time and a place where people were very religious, He showed up into a very religious environment. I mean, he was there among the Jews who kept the law. And they went to the temple. And they worshipped in the synagogue. And they had their traditions. And they had their routines. And they thought they had God pretty well figured out. And then Jesus shows up. And he starts turning everything upside down, inside out. The things that he said, the way that he lived, the way that he challenged people. I keep using the phrase countercultural in this series. Jesus was so countercultural. Not only was he countercultural, he was counterintuitive. I mean, so much of what Jesus said and did, it didn't really make sense. People would listen to what he said, and it's like, no, the world doesn't work that way. That's not how it happens. You know, Jesus would say things like, we receive by giving. We are strong when we are weak. If we want to be first, we have to put ourselves last. If we want to be free, we have to become a slave. If we want to uh, have life, we have to die. And people would listen to these teachings and they would think to themselves, and really, we probably would have too at the time without context, that doesn't make sense. Because that's not how the world works. It's not only uh, uh, countercultural, it's counterintuitive. And then, on top of that, Jesus would say things 
that almost seemed uncomfortable. He would make statements or he would perform some act and it would be like, mm, see, that's, that's outside our comfort zone. We don't like when you do things like that. No rabbi would do something like this guy is doing. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 5. On our Wednesday night live stream Facebook class, we are going through the Gospel of John. And if you've been with us for that, you'll remember a couple weeks ago, I skipped John chapter 5. And it wasn't because John chapter 5 isn't full of some really great stuff, quite the contrary. I skipped John chapter 5 because I knew I wanted to talk about John chapter 5 this morning. In John chapter 5, Jesus asks a question. And on the surface, this question seems insensitive. In fact, it, it almost borders on cruel. It's a question that you and I would never imagine asking someone in the same circumstances. We would never think of doing that. But it was a question that not only demanded an answer from the guy that it was asked of, but it also demanded a little bit of introspection. It demanded this guy take a look at his life and his motive and his heart. And I think as we look at this story, maybe, maybe the same is going to hold true for us as well. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It's going to sound familiar to you. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic, Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. We know this story pretty well. Jesus intentionally goes to one of the most depressing places in all of Jerusalem, a place that is lined with Hopeless, helpless people who are waiting for something that they never really think is ever going to happen. And Jesus approaches a man who has been an invalid for 38 years. Very specific about that. And Jesus doesn't introduce himself to this man. Jesus doesn't offer any kind of condolences to this man. In fact, Jesus doesn't give any kind of indication that he has anything that this man might need. Instead, he just asks a question. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in a condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? No ambiguity. No hidden meaning there. No uh, subtle inference. It's just a very pointed, very obvious question. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. This, this miracle happens in sort of an ironic place. This, this area where this miracle happened, it was in the days of Solomon built as a monument to wealth and prosperity. Originally, it was a little bit longer, a little bit wider than a football field. So it's a pretty big area. And there's a pool in the middle of this area. And it was a beautiful place in Solomon's day. By the time Jesus comes along, that's not exactly what it is anymore. Now it is this massive triage unit. There's a, that pool that's there uh, against this giant colonnade. And there, the sick, the lame, the blind 
the paralyzed, they would gather there in hopes of being cured. There was a belief that there was some kind of sporadic healing properties in the water. In fact, if you are reading along in your Bible and you have a newer translation, you don't have verse 4 in your Bible. You go straight from 3 to 5. Because verse 4, you probably do have footnote, by the way, that talks about an angel from time to time would stir the waters and the first person into the water would be healed. Um, I don't know if verse 4 belongs in Scripture or not, and, and we could talk about the validity of that claim maybe on another day, but here's what I do know. People gathered around that place because from time to time, something happened. So you have a confined space that is teeming with the kind of people that most of society tries pretty hard to avoid. Human nature hasn't changed very much. We know there are people who are hurting. We know there are people who are disadvantaged and disabled. But if we don't see them, maybe we don't have to deal with them. But Jesus didn't turn an eye to this. He didn't try to avoid those people. In fact, for some reason, he's right here in this giant triage section. And he's walking around. And he learns that there is a man who has been an invalid for 38 years. And he doesn't look away. Now, this is a very unique miracle that Jesus performs. Which sounds kind of redundant. All miracles are unique, I know. But but this one's a little bit different. Usually when Jesus heals someone... It's because the person being healed begged to be healed, right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This guy doesn't do that. Or Jesus heals people because someone came to Jesus and implored him, would you please heal my loved one? No, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Heal my son, heal my daughter. No one intervened on this guy's behalf for Jesus, to Jesus. In fact, this man doesn't take any initiative at all. Jesus takes all the initiative. All this man does is lie on a mat. Kind of blows up uh, the theology that some people maintain that you've got to ask God for something before he's going to give it to you. Apparently not. Aren't you thankful that there are times in your life when even though you weren't looking for God, he was looking for you? And aren't you thankful that there are times in your life that even when I wasn't asking anything of God, He's still pouring out all these blessings? God said in Isaiah, I'll be found by those who don't seek me. And obviously sometimes He gives to those who don't ask. That's how good God is. But Jesus looks down at this man who for almost four decades has been lame and He asks the question, do you want to get well? And again, the very question on the surface seems rude. It seems insensitive. It seems almost cruel. But of course, we know Jesus isn't rude, insensitive, or cruel. So why does he ask the question? Why is Jesus asking this man, do you want to get well? Maybe, maybe he's trying to force this guy to take a look at his own heart. Maybe he's trying to forced this man to take a look at his own motive. Now, it's possible for us to be in a situation for so long that even though our situation, even though our circumstances, even though our behavior is not normal, we start to think of it as normal. 
Even though the, the, the place where we are, the way we're living, it's substandard, after a while, we start to think of it as standard. Intellectually, we know that where we are, what we're doing, how we're living, it's not good enough. Given enough time, we'll kind of shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, good enough. And when we do that, we quit thinking about living life any other way than the way we're living it right now. In fact, the thought of living any way different gets to be a little bit frightening after you live one reality long enough. We get so used to doing what we're doing that even though we intellectually understand there's a different way, there's a freeing way, there's a better way, I'm not sure we'd choose it given the choice. And Jesus is asking this invalid, is it possible for you to imagine your life any other way than the way it is right now? That's basically the question he's asking. Is it possible for you to imagine your life any different than the way your life is being lived right now? Do you want to get well? Maybe the ultimate problem with this man isn't that his body's paralyzed. Maybe it's his spirit that's kind of gotten paralyzed. Maybe it's his heart that's a little bit paralyzed. Consider this. This man is surrounded by people every day who are pretty much just like him. And it would be very easy for him to get sort of a sense of normalcy about the life that he was living. Everybody he knows is just like him. Your view of what is normal is dramatically impacted by the context in which you're living your life. And your view of what is normal is dramatically impacted by the people that you choose to surround yourself with. And you find this out very quickly, like your first year of marriage, right? You have what you know is normal. And you, this is your comfort zone, and this is what you do because it's the right thing to do. And then you marry someone, and they have their idea of normal. And it's not your same idea, and they have their comfort zone, and they do what they always do, and then you've got to figure out how are we going to make this work. Amen. Amen. <laughs> that was a man, by the way, who said amen. <laughs> a police recruit was asked during an exam, what would you do if you had to arrest your wife? He said, I'd call backup. <laughs> because, you know, there's some issues there with trying to find a, a, a place. But the people that we surround ourselves with, the information that we surround ourselves with, it changes the way we see what is right and normal. Hey, if you watch, watch Fox News all the time, you're going to have a certain reality. If you watch CNN all the time, you're going to have a certain reality. If you watch HGTV all the time, it won't be long. You're going to hate your house. <laughs> you, just, you just are. This guy in John chapter 5, he, he, he's been sick for a long time. He's been an invalid for a long time. And he's surrounded by people that are just like him. It's all he knew. It was normal to him. And sadly, that happens spiritually as well. We can be stuck in a sin, surrounded by a situation caught up in a lifestyle for so long that, that the thing that we used to hate, we start to see it as normal. We start to see it as, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. And then we surround ourselves with people that are stuck in the same sins, with the same struggles, same lifestyle. And again, it just, okay, it's normal. 
That's the way everybody lives. That's what everybody does. It becomes hard for us to imagine life without that sin, without that spiritual struggle. And even though we intellectually understand that we need healing emotionally, psychologically, we don't really want to be healed that much. Augusta in the 4th century had to grapple with that question of whether he wanted to get well or not. He was an educator as well as a pretty well-known womanizer. And he was having an affair with a young woman that was uh, uh, studying under him about the same time that he was beginning to come under the influence of Christianity. And he realized, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up this lifestyle. I'm going to have to give up this relationship. And he writes about this struggle years later in a book entitled Confessions. Listen to what he wrote. I prayed to God for chastity and purity. I asked God to give me chastity and purity, but not right away. I was afraid that God would answer my prayer all at once and cure me too soon of this disease of lust, which I really wanted satisfied, not cured. This invalid had been sitting by the pool, this place of healing, and yet Jesus asks him this question, do you want to get well? Why? Why would Jesus ask the question? Because Jesus knew that even though we might be in a place of transformation and we might be in a place of healing, we might give off the impression, I want to be transformed and I want to be healed. But the truth is, we've kind of given up. The truth is, we want to be satisfied more than cured. Jesus is calling us to a new standard. He's calling us to, here's a phrase that I've grown to hate, a new normal. Don't you hate that phrase in the last 12 months? The new normal? Well, Jesus long ago called us to a new normal. The question is not, can God change me? That is not the question. That question was answered long ago. The question is, do I want God to change me? Because when it comes to my transformation, when it comes to my growth... Really, it depends a little bit more on my willingness to change than it does the power of God. God's desire, God's heart is for growth, is for maturing, for transformation. But that's not going to happen unless that's my desire as well. So let me make a couple applications real quick um, as we kind of head towards the finish line here. And I'll begin by asking you a question. And it's not a rhetorical question. I think it's a pretty good question. What are you sick of settling for in your life, in your spiritual life? What are you sick of settling for? What is it that you've settled for as normal? But when you consider God's word, you know that's not normal. What is it that God is calling you out of? What have you been settling for in your marriage, your family? Your relationship with other people, your relationship with God, your relationship with the church. What are you sick of settling for? What is God calling you out of? We are constantly guilty of settling for less than what God wants us to have. I like the way the message uh, words, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little, heaven, a little of heaven in our hearts 
so that we'll never settle for less. What are you settling for? What are you accepting as normal that God would say, that is not normal? What are you saying, this is my life, that God would say, but I got so much more? What are you settling for? Or as Dale Larson used to ask, why are you living beneath your privilege? Or as Jesus would ask, do you want to get well? Here's a second application. We need to surround ourselves with people who will help us to get well. Again, that invalid, he's surrounded by people who are just like him. The lame, the blind, the sick, the hurting. If that's who you're always with, if you're always with people who are just like you, you're going to find it very hard to rise above that reality. There's no alternative vision held before you. We need people in our lives who will model godliness for us and who will give us a vision of what God wants us to be. And I'm going to tell you this. You need to listen to this. This is important. You need two kinds of relationships in your life. You need to have relationships with people who are lost in darkness because we are commanded to be light in a dark world. We need to be around influencing people who are lost in darkness. But you also need to have relationships with a good brother or sister who is so far ahead of you on some aspect that you kind of feel lost in darkness. We need those kind of relationships as well. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, and it's my favorite verse, one of them, because it talks about my favorite person in the Old Testament, is in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 16. Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. I love that verse. Your translation might say, strengthened him in the Lord. If you have a friend who will help you find strength in God, that friend is priceless. If you have someone who will strengthen you in the Lord, that is such a blessing. You need that relationship. We need both of those kinds of relationships in our lives. We need those relationships where God uses us to minister to other people, And we need those relationships where God uses other people to minister to us as well. Who are we going to walk with? Who are we going to surround ourselves with? Do you want to get well? Having said that, we need to be sure and understand that true transformational healing only comes through Jesus. True transformational healing, that's only Jesus. See, this guy in John chapter 5 He thought he had to get to the water. He thought he needed the water. He didn't need the water. He needed Jesus. And too many times I have talked to people who have turned their back on God or turned their back on the church because they've been offended, because their feelings have been hurt. And I'll say something stupid like, well, did did God offend you? And I've been told, no, God didn't offend you, you offended me. You know, or an elder offended me, or a teacher offended me, or you know, somebody in the foyer offended me, and you all are not what you advertise. And my response is always, you're right. We are far less than we advertise. But don't allow the fact that the place of healing isn't always what it's advertised to be 
to cloud you where you can't see that the person of healing is so much more than he's advertised to be. Don't get hung up on the place of healing. Don't get hung up on the person. We're not perfect. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in church, therefore, if anyone's a good guy, therefore, if anyone is a wonderful citizen, no. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. New creation, the old gone. The new is here. True transformational hearing only comes through Jesus. If you want to get well. Years ago, I heard someone make a statement that's always stuck with me, and I think it's applicable on so many levels. It was actually a, a football guy who said it, but he said, You don't have to be sick in order to get better. And I thought that is so true on so many levels. You don't have to be sick in order to get better. We can all get better. We can all be better. We can all be more like Jesus. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? Yeah, but do you want to get well? Well, of course I do. The problem is, do you want to get well? I've kind of given up on that. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Maybe this morning you find it really easy to identify with a guy on the mat. Yeah, I get it. Sick, broken, hurting, struggling. Yeah, I understand that. Do I want to get well? Of course I want to get well. Why would someone ask me that? Or maybe you really have a hard time identifying with that man. Maybe it's like, you know, I'm living my best life right now. Life is great. I think Jesus would ask you the same question. Do you want to get well? The only way is Jesus. The only truth is Jesus. The only life is Jesus. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I wonder, this morning, what would happen if I chose to get off my mat? And what would happen if you chose to get off your mat? And your mat's probably different than my mat, but we've all got something that we kind of hold on to. And we've all got something that we're very comfortable with. And we've all got something that's kind of holding us back that we really don't want to step away from that we would rather just stay right here where we are, even though we know Jesus is calling us somewhere else. Notice Jesus didn't say to this man, you're healed. What Jesus said was, get up. Take up your mat and walk. Do something. Take action. Believe. Believe that the life you're living is not as good as life is. 
Believe that I am here to give you more. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Lots of reasons. One reason, he came to give me more. More than I'm experiencing right now. He came to give you more than you are experiencing right now. One last question. And it is a rhetorical question because I don't know the answer to this question. Where did this man go after he was healed? I don't know. We don't know. We know that Jesus does run into him again in the temple. But after that, we have no idea where he went. We have no idea what he did. We have no idea how he spent the rest of his life. Scripture doesn't tell us. But I do feel pretty confident in saying this. I know what he didn't do. And I know where he didn't go. He didn't go back to that pool. And he didn't get back on his mat. And he didn't lay down there again, waiting for something to happen. Because who would go back to their old friends? Who would go back to their old lifestyle? Who would go back to their old normal once you encounter Jesus? Once Jesus heals you, you don't go back to the way you were. This man didn't need the water. He didn't need to beat everybody into the pool. He needed the same thing that I need, same thing that you need. He needed Jesus. Do you want to get well? Let's pray. Father, would you allow us to be honest with ourselves? Just honest about who we are and honest about what we are. Would you remind us just how desperately we all need Jesus? Father, we've been settling for far too little, for far too long. Help us not just to imagine a life lived closer to you, but would you give us the faith to pick up our mats and begin to move closer to that life that you are offering. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.